We say the Apostles' Creed uh, once, uh, once a month. The Nicene Creed is one of the four first, what are called ecumenical creeds, of which Protestants and Catholics, capital C Catholics, all agree. This is the Nicene Creed, the first of them. And the reason I mention it and the reason I have it up here is because uh, it really, they, the early church was really struggling with what we are, we continue to struggle with that mystery that, that Aaron uh, talked about, which is God becoming man. How did that happen? And the four, first four councils are, are really struggling with that, along with other things. And so I encourage you to go back and look at that, look at the Nicene Creed, and, uh, and be encouraged by it, by our brothers and sisters from years ago. So please open with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And as you turn there, just please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, at this time when we are searching you out in scriptures, when we are leaning forward and pressing in to understand what you have done in Jesus Christ, in, in his incarnation, his first advent, we ask you to give us insight, to give us patience, that you give us trust in you, and, uh, and help our minds to, to strain, to look into the mysteries that, that you have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Help me to explain it well and be clear, Heavenly Father. I need that from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my... Nephew Tyler's wife, Jeannie, you're really good at these genealogy things. I struggle with just saying that. My nephew's wife, I don't know what relation she is to me, but I'm related to her. She works at a a business called The Knot. This is a company that does all kinds of things from engagement through marriage into marriage. And so I've learned a lot more about what some of the traditions are in the new traditions that are starting. So there, there's this new tradition, new to me, new tradition called a gender reveal. Do you know about this? Okay, I'm way behind the times. So these gender reveals, I, 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 this, these are parties where you get together and you reveal the gender of your child to your family and friends through uh, various means. Uh, some of them can be quite innocuous like this you you give people hershey bars with either the he or the she highlighted in the hershey and you find out what uh what sex your baby is going to be uh you can also do things like i've heard of cakes that are made that are white on the outside and either have pink or blue icing on the inside uh through mary rose my my nephew's wife she talks to me about pinatas that have pink or blue confetti in them or balloon pops with the same thing. Eagles quarterback um, Carson Wentz this week did his gender reveal by doing a skeet shooting a football. So he had a football thrown up and they shot it and I think it was pink powder came out of it and it revealed that they were going to have a girl. This particular one is, is a, a couple decided that they were going to make an explosion happen and Arizona, and revealed that they were going to be having a boy. Uh, but this particular one went terribly wrong when that explosion apparently set the prairie grass on fire, 
and it burned 47,000 acres in Arizona, resulting in $8 million worth of damage. Now, this guy was a border agent, too. Could you imagine how bad he felt? I just think of how the surprise and, and how, how bad Mary and Joseph felt when they found out what was going on here. When each of them learned about Mary's pregnancy, think of how they felt as they were grappling with this, this new truth in their life. Look with me at verse 18 in chapter 1. God's word says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We're going to stop there. There's, they say there's two kinds of people in the world, the kind that, that like surprises and the kind that don't. Uh, growing up, my, my sister wanted to know all the Christmas presents ahead of time. She needed to know every Christmas present she was getting. I am like the total opposite of my sister. I like to be surprised. So there's, even in our own family, there are these two different types of people. Christmas, at least in part, as we look at this text, is about surprises. And, and the first surprise that we see here in these first two verses, 18 and 19, is the surprising pregnancy that was told to both Joseph and to Mary. This was certainly a surprise to Mary at the time. Matthew does not record her reaction, but we do have her reaction recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Mary is absolutely gobstruck. She's shocked. If you remember there in Luke, it's, she says, when the angel tells her that she's going to be with child, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How can this be? She was not only shocked, but, but even confused as she's processing this. At the end of that chapter, Luke records that she treasured all these things up and pondered them. So she continued to process this. What's going on here? How can I be pregnant? And so is Joseph. He's processing this too. In verse 19, we have Joseph's reaction that is equally surprised. And he, we, he, uh, Matthew records here that he decides to divorce her quietly. He processes it. And he decides, I've got to divorce her. Now, just by way of uh, putting this in historical context, the Jewish betrothal system is a little different than ours. Many times uh, children were betrothed to each other through the parents very early on in life. And then when it came to the teenage years, they... they entered into a formal engagement, the betrothal period that, that Matthew talks about here. And that was serious commitment. It's not like our engagement. It, this was really right next to marriage. You just couldn't say, eh, you, you were betrothed. So when you wanted to express yourself from a betrothal in their cultural context, you actually had to serve a, a divorce certificate. So that's what's going on here. 
They were engaged, but he had to formally end the engagement, and he decides to do that. Joseph has been nicknamed in church history Joseph because he never says a word, but his actions actually speak very loudly of who he is. We see here that Joseph is a just man, first of all, in in what he's doing. He's He's a just man. Here, follow my thinking here. By deciding to divorce Mary, he shows that he is unwilling to just sweep her sin under the rug. Now, you have to remember that Joseph doesn't have this knowledge yet. He thinks that this woman that he's betrothed to has slept with another man, has been unfaithful. That's from his perspective right now. Imagine if that happened to you. You were engaged to somebody and you found out that they were unfaithful to you. How would you react? Probably similar to Joseph. By deciding to divorce Mary, he shows that he refuses to become complicit in this sin. He's not just going to sweep it under the rug. He's a just man. Something has to be done. So he decides to divorce her, but... But it also shows his character in how he goes about divorcing her. He doesn't, he doesn't take her into the street like a, like a John 8 and throw her down. He decides to divorce her, it says, quietly. To preserve her dignity. And there he shows not only that he's a just man, but he's also a merciful man. There's some mercy mixed in here. See, Joseph knew God's law. In God's law, in Deuteronomy 22, it's very explicit. If either party is unfaithful, the death penalty comes to bear on that. But Joseph wanted to show mercy as well, so he does this quietly. And we see Joseph's character of justice and mercy right at the forefront. He is a just yet merciful man. That's, that's how, he's an example of how, how a Christian should go through life. Being just and merciful. I mean, isn't that how we're, we're told in 1 Peter to share our faith? If you remember that in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone or anyone that asks you of the hope that you have within you. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, it says. The justice of the gospel, mercy in how you give it. We're called to do this in our body life, aren't we? Here our our memory verse was Ephesians 4. And in verse 15, how does it tell us to act towards each other? When you speak into each other's life, how are we supposed to do that? With truth in love, right? The justice, truth in love with mercy. We're to be those kinds of people. We're to be the kind of people that reflect who God is. Both just and merciful. That's what we see at the cross, isn't it? The cross is the perfect example in all of Scripture of God's justice coming to bear, but his heart and his mercy coming to bear at the same time. For there we have Jesus who went to the cross to fulfill God's justice. 
Sin has to be punished. That's the justice of God. He can't just say, oh, I'm going to ignore it. He has to be just. Sin has to be punished. That's the law. Someone has to pay for sin. And what scripture puts forth is that either Jesus pays for the sin or you pay for the sin. That's the choice. And Jesus came so that he could bear that sin for you. So that he could take the justice of God. Yet at the same time through Jesus, not only do we see the justice of God, but we see the mercy of God too, don't we? We see the mercy of God. In that I, a guilty sinner, am spared because of Jesus. What mercy. I, who deserve punishment, don't get it. What mercy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is where justice and mercy meet perfectly. And that is what Joseph is showing us here. Making justice and mercy meet. But just as Joseph is ready to proceed with this plan of divorcing her quietly, he gets another surprise when an angel appears and, and in a dream and speaks to him and tells him a surprising truth. A surprising truth. Look with me at, verses, at verse 20. So here he has decided to divorce her quietly, but then God's word says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here we have a surprising truth, and the surprise is, to Joseph, Mary hasn't sinned. Mary has not sinned against you. The Holy Spirit has caused Mary to become pregnant. That word there in verse 18, birth, is the same word in Greek that is used in verse 1 for genealogy. And the word there is genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus. This is the genesis of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has caused Mary, in Mary, the genesis of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the cause of Mary's pregnancy. And this is the surprising truth that Joseph has to process and that we have to process too. The scriptures are very precise in their language. The scriptures are very circumspect in how they talk about the Holy Spirit creating human Jesus. Here it uses twice the phrase, from the Holy Spirit. In Luke, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be overshadowed. We have to be as careful here as the word of God is in keeping the boundaries as to what is meant here. I don't know about you, but when I grew up in the 70s, there was like this flurry 
of of movies made about uh, you know the Antichrist. Remember the the Omen. Remember the, that series of movies and The Exorcist. Well, there's another one called Rosemary's Baby. I don't know if you remember this movie, but it was a movie that, that in which uh, detailed the account of the Antichrist being born. Okay, and it kind of parallels and mimics. The writers used the birth of Jesus to kind of mimic this this uh, uh, birth of the Antichrist. And the writers in that movie imply that Satan actually sleeps with Rosemary. That's how the Antichrist comes to be. Kind of like the Greek gods coming down, you know, and, and impregnating women. Same kind of thing. I heard of a pastor not too long ago who went to a Christmas Eve service when he was a really young Christian, really new Christian. He went to a Christmas Eve service. And as, as they were teaching about this incarnation, it, it became very clear that the, that the pastor there was, was insinuating that the angel was wooing romantically Mary. I mean, there are these crazy ideas out there of how Mary got to be with child. But that, none of those are true. We have to keep the mystery ourselves. The scriptures are clear about the mystery, if that makes sense. The scriptures are clear about the mystery. The Holy Spirit is the cause of Mary's pregnancy. Just like in, in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovers over the earth and, and he is the, the cause of creation. He makes earth, earth. Just like the Holy Spirit, when, when he opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel, when, when finally the gospel drops from here to here and you go, that's the most important thing in my life. When he opens your eyes, he's not, he's working and he's, he's at work in creation. He's at work in, in regeneration, making an unbeliever a believer. And he's at work in the incarnation. St. Augustine, pondering this, wrote the following, God became a man for this purpose. Since you, a human being, cannot reach God, but you can reach other human beings. You might now reach God through man. God became a man so that following a man, something you're able to do, you might reach God, which was formerly impossible for you to do. What a surprising and merciful truth that is, brothers and sisters. God knew you and I could never reach him Never be good enough. Never be generous enough. Never be sacrificial enough to reach him. So God sent Jesus to be enough for us. He was enough. He was good enough. He lived this perfect life that we can never live. He was sacrificial enough. He, he went to the cross for you and me. He absorbed, he willingly absorbed the punishment for your sin and sacrificed himself on the cross. And he was generous enough, forgiving our sins and healing your relationship with God the Father. It's one of the things that, that Jesus does. He heals your relationship with God the Father. Have you ever thought about that? 
if you follow him. You see, by believing in Jesus, we actually reach God. We actually have a restored relationship with God the Father. By following Jesus, you're invited into God's family, into his house. Larry Crabb, in his book Connecting, wrote this. He said, a friend of mine was raised in an angry family. Mealtimes were either silent or sarcastically noisy. Down the street was an old-fashioned house with a big porch where a happy family lived. My friend told me that when he, he was about 10, he began excusing himself from his dinner table as soon as he could without being yelled at and walking to the old-fashioned house down the road. If he arrived during mealtime, he said, he would crawl under the porch and just sit there listening to the sounds of laughter inside. When he told me this story, I asked him to imagine what it would have been like if the father of the house somehow knew that he was huddled down below in the porch and he sent his son to crawl under the porch to invite him in. Brothers and sisters, that is, that's what Christmas is all about. God has sent his son to crawl under the porch to invite you in. To invite you into his house where there's no yelling, there's no tears, there's no anger, there's no punishment. To invite you in to a place where there is love and acceptance and joy and peace. That's what Christmas is. Jesus inviting you in. If you're here today and you've never come into the house, come in. He's inviting you in. The last surprise we have here is a surprising name. A surprising name. Look with me at verses 21 and following. The angel goes on, encourages him not to fear, but to take Mary as his wife. It says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, took her as his wife. He knew her not until she had given birth to his son. And he called his name Jesus. The angel instructed Joseph to name Mary's son Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the, the Hebrew name, the uh, uh, Yeshua or Joshua. Joshua means God saves. Yahweh saves. God saves. Which makes sense of the explanation, because all the angel is doing is saying, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from his sin. God is going to save his people from their sins. The surprise for Joseph is that this is the Messiah. That's what the angel is telling Joseph. This child is it. This is the one. The one who the Jews have been anticipating for millennia. 
And he's not going to be a political Messiah, but a spiritual Messiah. See, the Jews, much like us today, we can really relate to this. We're always looking for this political Messiah. Always looking for this this person to come along to do something physical. That's why politics is such a hot issue in our, in our culture, is because people actually put the weight of messiahship into politics. People are looking for their next president or prime minister to be their messiah, to be their savior. If only we can get the right person in the office, everything will be okay. The world will be righted. Justice will be meted. Peace will be had. Prosperity again. And those same things could be said of the Jews at that time, 2,000 years ago. That's exactly what they were looking for. Give us that type of Messiah. A political savior that would restore their kingdom, that would kick the Romans out, and would make the world okay again. Just make this world okay again. Isn't that our desire? Just make this world okay again. I mean, I love what dear Aaron said earlier. He's going to do that in his second advent, but not in his first advent. We're so much like the Jews. We expect Jesus to save us from our felt needs, don't we? Like bad circumstances. Many people look to Jesus to save them from the bad circumstances of their lives. That's why they go to Jesus. Just, just heal the circumstances of my life. And that, that's why the, the health wealth doctrines and the health wealth preachers are, are so magnetic to so many people. Because that's what they promise. You put your faith in Jesus and your circumstances become fine. But we don't need save from our circumstances. Others look to Jesus to save them from their bad behavior. This is what legalist preachers preach. Come to Jesus and, and you'll become a good person. Get all this structure, this moral structure. Come to Jesus and you'll be a nicer guy. They teach that Jesus leads to a more moral way of living. Sounds nice to love your neighbor. Yes, that does sound nice. Feels good to be sacrificially generous. I mean, the golden rule actually used to hang in the halls of Pemetic School. But we don't need save from our bad manners and our sharp tongue. Still others look to Jesus to save them from their fear. That's the felt need. Save me from my fear. What's after this life? It's a black hole of nothing. And that's scary. And many people look to Jesus for that sort of comfort and solace and guarantee to save them from their fear. But we don't need save from our fear. There are many other felt needs that people look to Jesus to save them from. But God says right here in verse 21 what we need saved from. Name him Jesus. 
because he will save you from your sin. That's what we need saved from. We tend to look everywhere else. Jesus, plug this hole of fear. Jesus, plug this hole of my circumstances. When really you need saved from your sin. See, according to scriptures, unforgiven sin has the ability to bar you from a relationship with God. And in the Bible, do you know what that is called, shorthand? It's called death. When you don't have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, you're dead. That's what Ephesians 2 says. No relationship means death. And if you've ever had a long-term relationship that has gone wrong and ended, I know I've, I've talked to many people who have gone through divorce. You know what they tell me it feels like when a relationship is over? When they have no relationship with a long-term relationship, it feels like death. It feels like death. Now, you may not feel it like that. Forgiveness of your sins might be not high up on your felt needs list. But it is with God. God to God, it's number one. You need forgiveness for your sins. And that's what Christmas is all about. The solution to our pressing problem that maybe you don't even know you had, but now you do. Jesus, God saves, is born. And the best thing of all is when you accept Jesus, here's the best thing of all. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. When you go to Jesus to get your sins forgiven, you get all the other stuff too. That's the really cool thing. Jesus told his disciples one day, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. But do the first order things first. And the first order thing that God is telling us here is, you need forgiveness of your sins. And you know what? Everything else follows. Now that doesn't mean that when Jesus forgives your sins that your life becomes perfect. It doesn't mean that. Your circumstances sometimes never clear up. But it gives them context and meaning. It doesn't mean that you become a perfect person, a a much more moral person, but the Spirit does begin to change you from the inside out. Your heart is actually changed and your desires are changed. It doesn't mean that all your fears are taken away but you know that you have a guarantee that you'll be in the Father's house once you die. You see, when you accept forgiveness from the Son, you get it all. This is a pretty hackneyed sermon illustration, but let me tell you, it fits. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who had a very expensive art collection hanging on the walls of his mansion. He collected priceless Picassos, Monets, Van Goghs, and many others. They adorned the walls of his mansion. That man's son went to war, went to the First World War, and died. He was so heartbroken that, that when he got the news, he, 
He had an artist paint a portrait of his son, and he cleared the most precious place in his house to hang his, his son's portrait right above the fireplace, where he could see it every day. Years went by, and this wealthy man eventually died. Without an heir, the paintings were sent to auction, and art collectors from all around the world came to bid for the spectacular paintings that this man had collected over his life. The auction began with a painting that was not even on the museum's auction list. It was the picture of his son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, and the room was silent. Who will bid $100, he asked. Silence. From the back of the room came the jeer, who cares about this painting? Let's get on to the important stuff. More voices, voices echoed in agreement. The auctioneer replied, no, we have to sell this one first. Who will take the portrait of the man's son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke up and said, listen, I, I have $10 just to get things moving along. I knew the boy. I'll take the painting. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold for $10. The room erupted and said, now we can get to the good stuff. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was closed. Stunned in disbelief, the people spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for some old guy's son's picture. What about these paintings? There's millions and millions of dollars worth of paintings here. Let's get to that. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever gets the Son gets it all. Let's pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time together in your word. Spirit, enliven us, change us through it. It's only through your power, working in conjunction with your word, that we can actually become new people. We pray that that is true just a little bit today. In Jesus' name, amen.